This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It seems that we have moved into the reassurance phase of the fight against guns and gangs. Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders gave a news conference that was billed as the place where he was supposed to tell us how he will use the four and a half million dollars just allocated to this cause. It's going to be called Project Community Safe and it will start tomorrow. But beyond that, I certainly didn't get any sense of what is going to be happening. He said that it will be intelligence-led, that there will be additional layers to the guns and gang tax task force, and that it won't be about uh, an increasingly visible police present presence. And at the end of the day, he said he didn't want to give too much away from the police playbook. So, people... Are you reassured? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. But first, let's go to two guests who may actually understand what Saunders was referring to. In studio, I'd like to welcome former Toronto City Councillor and Police Officer John Burnside and on the line, terrorism and security expert Ross McLean. Hey, guys. Hey, Libby. Hey, good day. Good day. Oh, Okay, so John, uh, based on uh, what he said, w- what is going to be happening there? Well, I'm not really sure that too much. Uh, you know, my big complaint is why is it taken so long? Last year, when we had a rash of or an uptick in homicides, uh, we discussed this at City Council. The chief was there, and everyone was focused on the number of deaths. And it, it was apparently an anomaly since the year of the gun in 2005. But I looked at the data and I made the point that the number of shootings, which are the real indication of gun violence, whether someone's a good shot or or not, is not the indication of violence. It's the number of shootings has been steadily increasing since 2005. And, you know, you look at this this um, action plan, monitoring of bail compliance. The city lost its mind when someone was out on, uh, you know, a day pass from Cam H and you know, got on a plane, but we have how many people on bail and apparently they're not even being monitored. And so like, this is some brilliant idea. Like that said, I'm a big fan of the chief and in many ways his hands are tied, but I just figure, I just feel that this is really, um, so reactionary. It's like, where is the proactiveness of our politicians and our police service? Ross? John always makes interesting points, and I don't disagree with anything on John's points, except I'll take a slightly different angle looking at it. I actually see this as finally we're getting to start doing something good here, and I absolutely agree that this is something that should have been started a long time ago. Uh, and, you know, the numbers of police officers that were down and the ability to go after these uh, gangsters has just been, it's been non-existent since about 2013. Uh, so I think what you're going to see happen here, if I'm reading the chief correctly, is they're going to be going out there using more people out of uniform to be doing more of this bail and parole compliance. 
because, and I think John knows this, uh, most people don't know it, we've got so many people out on bail and parole that are violent in the GTA area, and there's not nearly enough people to even check on them or keep tabs on them. So I think they're going to go around and keep closer eyes on some of these people and start locking them up if they've got some decent uh, bail conditions against them. Okay, well... On Monday, we had a defense attorney on, and he was saying, it's not true that they're walking around the streets on bail, that if if, uh, a gun crime is involved, it's usually bail for house arrest. And then yesterday, I ran into a crown that I know and said, they violate the house arrest all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's what goes on. Look at the case of Christopher Husbands, if people want to look it up and see what uh, what conditions he was under, and there's no one to check on these people. There's not physically enough police officers to check everybody to go do it. And this is something that we need to look at, especially if the courts are going to let the people out. So you've got these bad guys who just think it's... They're just bad guys. I mean, let's call these some of these people for what they are. They're evil criminals who, who would drop and kill someone in a heartbeat and uh, not miss a meal because of it. That's what some of the really bad ones are. So we have to get out and get on top of these people and clean them up before these communities even stand a chance. Um, you know, speaking of checking on the bail, I mean, the other thing that de- the defense attorney was saying is that the people who put up the surety for them, who put up the bail, they have a lot to lose because if it's a $100,000 bail, that's no joke. Uh, so what about that? Um are there consequences if somebody skips bail? Uh, does the person putting up the surety always pay up? My understanding is my understanding. And I stand to be corrected on this. Is that almost never takes place? That never happens. That's my understanding. However, someone with the courts could speak to that as to how many hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars they're collecting for that. I don't think you're going to find that's at all the case. That's my anecdotal uh, thoughts on that. Okay. Well, yeah, and I was just going to add uh, to Ross's point. When I was on the, the police service. For the 10 years that I was there, that was sort of the big joke is that no one ever had to cough up the money. Uh, but to Ross's point, I'm not an expert on that. I don't have the statistics, but that was sort of the running joke when we were at court that those uh, those sureties and, and and whatnot were, were ultimately fairly meaningless. Okay. Uh, now, do you know, Ross, um, so if somebody is... Uh you know, they fix a $100,000 bail. How much money is actually put up? Yeah, my, my understanding, and I, like I say, I'm not an expert on this, but my understanding of this is it's pretty much meaningless. It's a promise. You say, oh, I promise I'll do this. I promise I'll There's do that. There's not even a deposit kind of a thing? My, my understanding is no. And you know what? One of the problems we have here, Libby, and this needs to be addressed. This is one thing the chief was saying that's out of his control, and he's going to need the politicians to start getting on top of this at every level. You will have a judge sitting in bail court who thinks it's just too mean to really have them put up any money because this poor person doesn't have the money to do it, and they won't do it. You'll have activist judges. They'll say they feel sorry, or it's not right, or it's terrible, and so they... it. it, it ultimately ends up meaning nothing. As long as we've got activist judges uh, who are sitting in the bail courts. And, you know, I talked to uh, uh, one defense lawyer who is, there is a few judges. They, they know, they know who some of these judges are and they'll wait to do go for their bail when they know that certain judges are in certain courts because they know they'll be able to get out. Okay. But yeah, I, but here's, I'm, I'm just uh, trying to get a fix on this. But they set the bail, so they set the bail, but they just don't collect any of it? There's no rules for that? 
there is, but my understanding is, and like yeah. I say, call someone from the courts to to ask about this, or from the, or from corrections or justice or whatever. Ask them how much yeah. money they've collected for, and then what they do. Uh, my understanding is it's basically not really enforced. Yeah, I just um, want to add about uh, Ross's point about the judges. He's correct, but I think the problem actually is is runs deeper than that, and it's a societal one. One of the one of the complaints we're hearing over and over again is that if people have to put up whatever amount of money, that's ultimately discriminatory. Because if you're wealthy and commit a crime, it's not a big uh, deal to put anything up for your for your bail. And so many people who don't have the economic means end up staying in jail because they can't meet those requirements. I'm not taking a stance, but I'm saying it's not only the judges. This is really there are a lot of politicians and a lot of activists who are who are stoking that rightly or wrongly, and that's for Well, I'm to assuming that if, if it's a gun crime related to, say, the drug trade, they're probably uh, pretty flush from that. Yeah, I'm not sure they actually pay taxes, though. So, <laughs> well, well, you mean not, they don't actually pay taxes, so they've got more in their pocket? Mm. Well, uh, th- that's the theory. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and to John's point, and I'll agree with him, mean, I don't deny that there's going to be social circumstances for certain crimes where that would be seen as being discriminatory. But when you take out a gun and shoot it at someone, uh, I think you lose that uh, you lose that for crimes of violence with firearms. Oh, I absolutely agree. I'm just saying, you know, that's been the movement. Just as this whole thing about, oh, the crime is down. We heard that for the last five years, so we need to let, invest less in our police. Well... You know, we're we're seeing that um, even though crime rates might be down, certain types of crime are up, and it's being it's more difficult to get guns off the street because of all the the way that the police, um, the tools that have been taken taken away from them. So I guess my point is, it's these these situations are are uh, actually have been hijacked. I feel by certain special interests. And they've presented one side, and everyone's sort of gone along with that, and now we're seeing those results. So, uh, again, are you reassured by this, or is it the same situation where uh, the chief doesn't really have the tools? And then, you know, frankly, you look at $4.5 million, it's actually not that much in the context of a police budget, that's a billion dollars. Ross? Uh, no, well, look, the, the chief, I think, is doing what he can. I think what he should be doing, though, with this is giving out and putting out the stats on the people they bring in. They, like, he's how many guns have they seized? I think they're seizing close to two guns a, a day this year across the city of Toronto, which is just unheard of. I mean, to have them, those many guns seized. But I think what the chief needs to do is put down and put out a chart of how long these guys actually spend in jail before they get out on bail, before they're gone. With, with the use of this project. So I think the chief needs to get together with, with the mayor, with the city council, who I, I really don't see them doing this, and, and with the province and up to the feds and saying, we've got to change all these laws around violent handgun crime. We have to change them. We have to make it a deterrent, is what the chief said. Right now, there isn't really a deterrent. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not that confident for for a couple different reasons. One year, one reason it's sort of this eleven week plan, and and my point is this escalation has been going on for fifteen years. Uh, the the second point is that I do feel that the the politicians 
and quite fr- frankly, the, the police command have really abandoned the officer on the street. So look, there's no more carding. I have no issue with that. It was, it was a, a system or a process that was got out of hand. That doesn't mean police can't stop people on the street. But the, the officer on the street has such a lack of support from politicians, from their command to actually do that gritty police work and stop gang members. You know, in the you, days gone by, we used to stop uh, motorcycle club members, motorcycle gang members all the time. And they knew that we were we were on them. And I think that did have a have an important uh, impact. But just as importantly, I see no long-term plan here. Like these, these are systemic issues. Yes, the police, they can do a surge like we did in, you know, the Americans did in Iraq, and that will have a short-term uh, benefit. And we've seen that and the naysayers against the surge were proven wrong. So the surge is fine, but what is the long-term plan? We have environments in these community housing projects that are self-perpetuating uh, environments of violence. And until you actually uh, attack that issue, you are never going to solve this issue. Right. Uh, but, you know, one of our panelists yesterday, Karen Stintz, made a very good point saying, if we knew what to do, we would be doing it. Libby? Yeah? You know what they need to be doing with these uh, all these uh, Toronto community housing projects? They need to have the same level of security as any mid-level condominium has in this city. What they need to have is they need to have uh, a gate. You go up to any condo these days, you have to go up to a gatehouse before you can come in. You have to sign in. You have to be on the list to be able to come in. They record your license plate. Then they let you in before you can go in to go up to the floors to go see places. What happens now is these Toronto community uh, housing projects are basically a drug distribution dens where everybody, all the bad guys get in, anybody can walk in, and the poor terrorized people who are the decent people who get into this housing, who are looking for a chance to get a leg up and move, they're terrorized living with these criminals just floating about with their guns, uh, with their threats, going after their children, taking their young boys to recruit them to gangs, going after the young girls to get them into prostitution. They don't have the basic same standard protection. So I think if we started doing that, you don't get into a Toronto community housing property unless you're on the list and your name is there will solve a lot of these problems because these gangsters, they move in with the girlfriends who are paying next to nothing for the apartments, live there and use that as a base for doing all their drug dealing. But, and then and they have all the lookouts on the outside looking for the coppers when they show up to hide the guns and hide the drugs. It's Everybody knows what's going on. We just got to shut that down at the root. That is though, uh, you, you make an interesting point, but I'm thinking that uh, the security guards that are at mid-level condominiums, they aren't, you know, I think you need, a, we would need something a lot tougher than that to do absolutely, that job. Absolutely you would. And that's why you'd start it off uh, with the police being there, doing everything, everything. Before you get into this place, we're going to check you out. You're going to have to be allowed in. Otherwise, you're not getting in. Same as any condo. Then get these people out of these uh, units. Stop them from coming back in. And then you can start to tailor it down to where you could get uh, the Toronto Community Housing Police uh, looking after this, if you will. So I think that ultimately, if you're going to try to solve an issue, you need to understand the issue. And there are certain aspects of the issue that no one wants to talk about. And one is the fact that we, we, we house people of um, lower socioeconomic means. We create this environment of, is created. Um, a great book, if anyone wants to understand it, is by Jeffrey Canada, Fist, Stick, Knife and Gun. And he talks about the situation in New York. And, and then we also have to look at the family structure itself. 
I'm in no way a social conservative, but we also know that in in these areas we have a high uh, high percentage of single family uh, households where there where there isn't that same level of uh, parental you mean, parental engagement. You mean single parent, single parents. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And Jamil Giovanni, who's a Canadian, he wrote a great book, Why Young Men, and he talks about this. But no one ever wants to talk about these sorts of things. The value of education. We need to. Um, aspire we need to increase the capacity to aspire and until you do that with youth you're going to be in this perpetual cycle if the police want to actually uh, learn and and interact with the community and create positive bonds you have to do it with kids when they're five six seven eight years old not trying when they're 14 it's already too late and that's a sad reality uh, i started a hockey league with the police in Flemington park eight year olds and eight to ten year olds it's been running 10 years it's been hugely successful. The dynamic between the police and the community has changed. Do you think any other division in the city has done that? Nobody. And, you know, there are models where we can improve things. I get Karen Stintz's point, but we all, we, we look at, so we're looking for some panacea. No, we're looking to improve a situation. And there are lots of ways to improve the situation. I just don't think anyone's, uh, sees them. Okay. Hang on. Uh, let us get to the phones and take a few calls. We'll start with Mike in York, Ontario. Hi, Mike. Hi, Libby. Good morning. How are you? Fine. Go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, dear. Um, this, this, this gun violence business is getting out of, out of hand. Yep. And believe you me, the best thing we can do right now is bring back the death penalty. Bring back the death penalty. And yeah, then, Mike, I, I think that's a non-starter. Frankly, I don't think that's happening in Canada. Well, believe you me, if you want to get rid of the, the, the violence, get rid, bring back the death penalty and put people that get caught with guns, put them in jail and let them stay in there until they're trial. Don't let them out. No bail. Okay. Thanks for that, Mike. Okay, uh, you know we get a lot of callers who call saying that is uh, again. I, I I don't even. I think that's just a non-starter. Well, you know, Libby, there is a reason why you get a lot of callers coming in with that because they recognize that to whatever degree, without the proper deterrence, you won't be able to deal with the situation. Right now, the ability to run around as a, as a fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old guy with a gun, running with a gang, dealing opioids. You know, putting thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand uh, dollars tax-free in in your pocket is uh, a whole lot better than the idea is. Oh, I'm going to have to go to jail. Uh, I'll get bail. Uh, I'll go to court. Uh, maybe I'll get eight months. I'll get back out again. I mean, the deterrence just isn't there, and I think we really need to get a strong deterrence. Yeah, I mean, so to, to I I agree with Ross. I mean, you know, I understand Mike's point, but to your point, Libby, that will never happen. And quite frankly, the cost the costs are outrageous, and it, and you know, people are on death row for for decades. So it, that's not really the way to go. That said, in California, they did toughen the laws, the penalties associated with um, gun crime, and that did have an effect. So. If 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 the penalties are greater, that will have an effect. But once again, you know, we we have to look this at it more from a, a holistic with a holistic approach, and not just look at the oh, we need to we need to hammer these people over the head. We got to stop it before it starts, and that's a huge investment. And quite frankly, in the public housing areas, I think all levels of government need to get involved, and we need to start redeveloping these things like they did in Regent Park. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's hear from Suzanne in Oakville. Hi, Suzanne. Hello, Libby. Thank you for taking my call. I have a very radical uh, suggestion, I'm afraid. Uh, most everyone will absolutely not agree with it, but I would agree with it. And that is Chief Saunders and Mayor Tory both know exactly where these people are who are in possession of illegal guns. Actually, Chief Saunders cited the area where the community housing complexes are. And I heard all of the um, uh, conversation from the two gentlemen that you have with you. My suggestion is to get rid of the illegal guns that are in possession of who I, whom I would refer to as thugs is do a blitz, an absolute blitz. Get the necessary warrants, enter these complexes, whether it's uh, all the way to Timbuktu from wherever, go through each and every unit and seize the guns. Okay, thank you for that, Suzanne. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you can't <laughs> seize where, something you don't know where it is. Exactly. Okay, you know, go ahead, uh, yes? I was going to say, Libby, one of the things I think we need to look at doing, Aaron, come back to this, is the mandatory minimums of, let's say, five years for possession of an illegal handgun uh, if you're a gangster. Now, we have a problem here. When these guys are going around killing people, and you've heard the chief talk about this his last press conference, witnesses do not want to come forward because they're scared of being killed by these gangsters or their family members. So I think if we can get something where the police alone can impact these gangs by uh, just a police officer's evidence. I've seen this guy. He had the gun. He's a member of an organization. Give him the minimums. That way the police can at least start getting him off the streets because trying to get these guys for murder, look at this husband's case, how long this one is taking, okay. and the witnesses and all the problems. Let's make it so it's easy for the police to deal with these gangsters. Okay, well, judges have uh, said some of that's unconstitutional, but right now I want to bring in Reverend Sky Starr, a grief therapist and trauma specialist, and she's the founder and executive director of Out of Bounds, which provides groups and services in communities affected by violence. Reverend Starr, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. I'm on the road right now, but I've just pulled up in, into a little parking space here so I can I can chat with you. Okay, glad you're not doing anything illegal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm coming from being a victim of gun violence. So. Okay, so... Um, You've been hearing a, a lot of things, uh, you know, the people, the chief sort of outlined what he's going to be doing with the no, no, money. No, well, I wasn't able to hear that because I've been walking all morning, so I haven't seen that yet, so I haven't okay. heard it. Well, so he's, he said that comment. he will uh, add some layers to uh, the Guns and Gang Tax Force, and it's not going to be about an increased visible police presence. Uh, we've been talking about making bail uh, stricter, Harder to get, uh, you know, more, um, you know, uh, bail conditions being more monitored. Uh, what do you think is the right thing to be doing? <laughs> well, of course, they have to look at, I would think it's, it's appropriate to look at, like, tougher laws, for instance. Also, even on people who have, um, have, uh, have lost their lives. When, uh, when somebody goes to prison, they come out in about eight years, six years depending on whatever they're given. I understand the Constitution is there, but compared to a life that is lost, 
And then that person comes out and still have their life and they're able to have a family. I'm just coming from seeing a mother right now who's complaining about the same thing. So tougher laws, yes, but they also need to be looking at victims and survivors of crime. There's no support for them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what supports would you like to see? I mean, we've also heard about uh, programs that target really young children before they get involved, you know, 8, 10, 12. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, that's good. But education for everybody across the board, mothers, like even like family members, and also looking after the victims and survivors after they have been traumatized. Is there nothing like, for them now? Okay, victim services provide... Um, provide counseling for about 10 sessions. When somebody has lost a child, especially to a traumatic incident, this is a lifelong process. And I'm not saying that they need to have something in place lifelong for them, but they need to include the community. Did the chief mention anything about um, getting community involved in what they're doing? All the funds I'm hearing that's being handed out is going to the police, to put more police into, into the communities, yes. But what about deterring people from that? What about looking at the systemic issues that's creating the problem? What about all of those things? Well, they, they are certainly talking about that, but not with anything specific. Or it's been, They've been talking about it for years, nothing specific. Even Mayor Tory mentioned before the election, this was one, one of his campaign promises, that he would have things in place for the youth. He will set Something's up to the talk on violence. Nothing has happened yet. I've been talking to Reverend Sky Starr, to John Burnside, and to Ross McLean. And Reverend Starr, one one question here. So he made it clear that there's not going to be an increased visible police presence. It might be plainclothes officers, and and he made reference to communities that felt like they were being targeted and overwhelmed by police. So on that note, are they on the right track? Some extent, yes, I would agree. You would agree. So, um, I, would agree. Uh, I mean, there's always there has always been tension between the police and marginalized communities, and that stems from the way they were people were being treated by the police. You know, like I mean, this is always there's a, there will always be tension there. So, on that front, if he's able to walk behind the scenes and also, um, you know, make people feel a little more comfortable with their presence not being as in people's faces as usual, then that's, that's a good thing. Okay, Ross, do you agree with that? Yeah, and I want to commend the Reverend Star for all the work that she's doing, and she with probably no, needs... With no funding, I would have to say. I, well, I was just going to, if you let me speak for you, I'll, I'll think okay. I'll do you a favor here. I'm going to, I'm going to say, with, without funding uh, that goes yeah. to these issues, you know, Councillor uh, John Burnside has also spoken about the larger issue, and I think he and her would have a great conversation, and it is something we need to look at as to all of the supports that are not around supporting people uh, who have been a victim of violence and also helping people who are going to become victims to not become yeah. victims. Well, you I know, mean, it's, I, it's interesting because one of the things that previously Chief Saunders was focusing on is that the number of deaths went down. But as John pointed out, the number of shootings went up and we don't, we, we don't talk about people who have been shot. I mean, there's a huge recovery from that. Even, you know, if you recover from it. And and the re-traumatization and the traumatization that's, that's lasting. That's it. I'm just coming from seeing, and I'm sure you guys must have heard of Rochelle Lewis, of course, uh, in Scarborough, who's in a wheelchair right now. 
shot in her backyard with two people dead on scene. And she's been traumatized since then and struggling. The family's struggling. The mother's... I mean, nobody talks about that. There's nothing in place for these people. I mean, there would be the, the minimum thing that Rochelle is getting this support from here to manage, but the care that she needs, the continuous care that the mother needs. There, there are people almost losing their houses because of situations like that. Like, that's nowhere. Like, nothing's been addressed. Yeah, and I don't disagree. I mean, there's... The, the Ontario government was supposed to have set up this whole victim, uh, victims of crime, uh, uh, you know, with yeah. there's a victim surcharge on every provincial offenses ticket. You know, question is, where is that money going? So yeah. I get that point. I mean, I guess one of my concerns is that there was a community meeting at Jane and Finch and there were residents saying they don't feel safe, they can't go out. But then they're also saying that they don't like the police. And, you know, they had a, a tense relationship with the police. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, rightly or wrongly, the police are damned if they do, damned if you don't. Like, if the community doesn't feel, can't go out because of all the violence, but they don't want the police there, what is the solution? And we, we, Okay, and, I, and I, could, I could present a solution. Great. Yeah. And I, I work with the police as well, because we, can't, we cannot have safety without them. And I do understand, you know, somebody looking from the outside without understanding all the intricacies that's there, wouldn't understand. First of all, it's the way the police treat people. I mean, and that has changed to a significant degree because people like me are complaining about it. But this has been one of the issues. So getting to the root causes and trying to mend the fences that has been broken down. Like, I mean, if you treat people like human beings, what you will get from them is respect and recognition. When you don't treat them the same, you will get fear and anxiety and people pushing you away. Okay, hang on. Let's take a call from Evie yeah. in Toronto. Hello? I'm a charity. I don't know. I can't hear you. Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. We can't hear you. Uh, people, when you call, uh, you have to turn your radio down. Okay, let's go to Sam in Toronto. Hi, Sam. Hey, hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good, thank you. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to make it short. Uh, I think uh, it's more is a two-pronged uh, issue. You have to face it. One is investment. You have to invest in your youth, you know. It's a segregated uh, city. Even the surface is not, but it is between rich and poor. Then hopelessness and poverty kicks in. They say poverty is mother of all sins, you know. When you're mm-hmm. desperate, hopeless from a young age, uh, you tend to do things that, uh, you know, a normal kid your age may not do in, you know, in a different class, class system. So that plus city has to really invest, really invest, not just lip service. They have to invest all this money coming in into the city, billions and billions. I'm sure they can find some, some of this and uh, invest uh, in neighborhoods. You know, I'm not saying free money, give people free money. No, but you invest, you know, from early age and plus education, and a little bit of uh, godly teaching. I know it's kind of antique to talk about these things, but a little bit of uh, spiritual uh, teaching, and uh, you know, <laughs> a few other things, it can help. Okay, yeah. Sam. Um, okay. We'll take okay. that under let advisement. Me, let me just, yeah, let me just commend Sam. Thank you for the holistic view, Sam. I appreciate that. It's exactly what I've been saying. 
So I, I just want to jump in here. I agree with Sam on many levels, not everything. Uh, I think the city really should embark on building of proper community centers. So many of them are old, they're decrepit, they're, some of them are 50, 60 years old. But more than that, they also need to extend the hours. Uh, what they're finding in New York is that these community centers closed at 8 o'clock. Well, but the kids need somewhere to go and need activities till at least midnight in the summer. So that huh? was the, that was really, oh yeah. We, well, that's when all, everything happens after dark, right? All the, yep. right. <laughs> so, so I think, you know, cutting hours to save budgets, wrong way to go. And I haven't actually heard anyone talk about that. That's important. Uh, I don't, you know, I understand the extra challenges people living in poverty face, but I would also say there are lots of examples, Newfoundland being one of them, where there's a lot of poverty, but very low rates of crime. So, and then the last point I would make is that we also have to um, look at where our society is and really to get ahead, if you're not an entrepreneur, you need an education. And we need to, we need to really um, ed- help educate people and put a value on that. And I think that keeps getting missed in this conversation. That's a long-term issue. Okay. We are uh, basically running out of time on this. Russ, what would you like to end with? Yeah, you know what? We spend a lot of money on community centers and basketball courts. That is not the answer. What we need is education that people like this reverend can bring to politicians and communities to deal with the issues. We've had a a few of our last homicides happen in the parking lots, I believe, of some of these community centers. People don't know what they don't know. The people in these communities... Uh, they're looking for answers. They don't know when their kids are being recruited for for sex trafficking. They don't know. They haven't been warned about that, what to look for. They've got nowhere to go. They don't know when their kids are getting involved uh, in gang activity a lot of the time, and they're not getting help with that. So I think the real help we need is an education on how to live lives better. Uh, mm-hmm. Getting kids to go play basketball, uh, that, that's not solving any problems. But it is, Ross, respectfully, it is getting kids to be part of something that's positive as opposed to negative. And that's that would be my opinion. Okay, we are totally out of time. This is an excellent conversation that we will be revisiting, who knows, maybe as early as tomorrow. And people, if I couldn't get to your call today, Free For All Friday is coming up. Again, we might follow up on this as early as tomorrow. In the meantime, thank you so much, Ross McLean, security and terrorism expert, John Burnside, former city councillor and former cop, and Reverend Sky Star with Out of Bounds. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Libby. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.